The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 66 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own, and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Happy New Year to everyone. Here is wishing you a very healthy and happy New Year, and thank you so much for listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm really super stoked about 2019 because we're opening up the new year with listeners in 45 countries around the world. So I can remember our first pilot episode we had, you know, just when we just started starting out, we had listeners in like three, three countries. And I was so excited about that. And to date, the show has really been a huge success. We're, we have constant growth every month. And we've really grown our listenership organically, mostly by word of mouth and, and by providing excellent content from the most sought-after tier one cybersecurity professionals in the world week after week after week. I think in a way that, quite frankly, no other show has been able to do. So... The buzz about the show was great, and the activity around our social media post has doubled over the, over the last year, at least, skyrocketing into the tens of thousands of views and impressions that per post on LinkedIn, for sure. And just over the last week, you know, just this last week, our interest in our Twitter account has significantly increased, and that trajectory looks like it's going to take off. Looks like it's going to go into the thousands of followers, and very soon uh, thereafter, probably tens of thousands of followers. So, but what I'm really excited about the most what I'm, what I'm really, really excited about the most is the TF7 network and how we're going to be establishing the base for the most powerful cybersecurity network in the world. The most powerful cybersecurity network in the world is going to be Task Force 7. It's, and we're establishing it right here on Task Force 7 Radio. This is going to be one of the biggest things, not only to hit the cybersecurity industry in my mind, but really to hit the business world in general. And I say that because... Cybersecurity affects all business. You cannot have a successful Fortune 500 company without an effective cybersecurity program protecting your employees, protecting your brand, protecting your data, and your customers' data. You, you just can't do it. It just can't happen. 
And the TF7 network is going to be a platform where the good guys will convene, join forces, and collaborate in a way that has never been seen before, both in the public and in the private sector. Make no mistake about it, the bad guys have been winning. Okay, they've been winning, especially lately with all these mega breaches going on and everything. But soon it's going to be time to retake the initiative. And the medium to do that is going to be Task Force 7. And I'm going to, I'm going to be asking you all to get in the fight. I'm going to be asking you all to join. We need every, every able mind and body and brain that we can get to win the cybersecurity battle. So the end of 2018 brought some really exciting developments for TF7 Radio and the TF7 Network that I hope to announce sometime later this month, but I'm really jacked up about 2019, folks. I mean, it's gonna be a great year. This is gonna be a, a, a fantastic year, and I'm really looking forward to every single day just getting up and hitting it hard because there's so many exciting things going on. So, you know, moving on, uh, what a wonderful New Year's Eve show last week with Marcy McCarthy, the CEO of 10. It's a very popular information security executive networking and relationship marketing firm. That's done a great deal of good in the cybersecurity industry. We tapped Marcy's expertise on a whole bunch of topics, including how she navigated her career into cybersecurity, what she thinks the biggest challenges are in cybersecurity today, how professionals are navigating the sophisticated and convoluted solutions market, and how important soft skills are in rising up the corporate ladder in the cybersecurity space. This is something that I think every cybersecurity professional should hear. And because, well, look, you got to remember, Marcy knows a little bit about the talent market. After all, she is not just the CEO of 10, but she is also the CEO of IIC Talent. And that's an executive search and talent management firm dedicated exclusively for information security executives. So that's right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I emphasized that enough on last week's show, but Marcy runs an executive search talent firm who specializes in placing senior cybersecurity talent. So if you missed last week's episode with Marcy McCarthy, I highly suggest you power up your smartphone on the way to work, find your favorite playback medium, go to Task Force 7 on your podcast list, and take a listen to last week's episode. That's Marcy McCarthy, the CEO of ISE Talent, on episode number 65 of Task Force 7 Radio. So following up on my announcement last week of the new practice of listening a monthly Encore episode, some of the most popular Task Force 7 Radio episodes in our history, I am happy to announce that it was more successful than I could have ever imagined. I mean, the December Encore episode was episode number 38. That was with Richard Kessler, the director of KPMG's cybersecurity advisory practice, talking about the importance and efficiency of unified governance models. And people just loved it. Thousands of people who never heard the episode checked it out. And because of this, we're going to be choosing to highlight an Encore episode every month that will be listed in your TF7 podcast library. So check out the TF7 podcast library on your favorite playback medium to see what I'm talking about. In addition to the Encore episodes, we will be posting TF7 extras, which will be a lot of fun too. So it's all good stuff. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe just someone sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 radio episodes on playback. Well, you can find TF7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So 
All in all, nine different options to get your TF7 radio fixed. We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you get Task Force 7 Radio, you get all your options. Check us out, TF7 Radio, playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. That's how you get the notifications on the new weekly episodes, the TF7 Extras, and the Encore episodes. You might have missed in the past if you're a new listener. So subscribing is definitely the way to go. So we're going to rock it this week on third-party risk. That's the risk that most organizations prioritize as a material risk in their organization. Fred Knipe, the CEO of CyberGRX, and Scott Schneider, the Chief Revenue Officer of CyberGRX, are both going to be joining us this evening. So CyberGRX is a firm that specializes in third-party risk management, and they are just killing it in this space. And these two guys are really, really wicked smart. And I'm really excited to have them on the show. As the Chief Executive Officer of CyberGRX, Fred Knipe is responsible for the overall company direction. He's also, uh, prior to joining the company, Fred served in several senior management roles at Bridgewater Associates, including Head of Compliance and Head of Security. And before that, Fred was an Associate Principal at McKinsey and Company, where he led the company's corporate finance practice. Fred has also worked as an investor with two later stage private equity investment firms, and he holds a BSE from Princeton University and an MBA from Columbia. As Chief Revenue Officer, Scott Schneider is responsible for all facets of CyberGRX's go-to-market and growth strategy, including public relations, marketing and sales functions, and much, much more. Previous to CyberGRX, Schneider led similar functions at Security Scorecard, Looking Glass, Eyesight Partners, and iDefense. He began his career at McAfee, now in Intel company. Schneider holds a BS in criminal justice from Texas State University. So I'm very excited to have them both on the show with us this evening. Fred and Scott, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. Hey, guys. I'm super stoked to have you guys on. So look, I want to jump right into it. I want to benchmark the industry a little bit and benchmark our conversation. What's the current state of third-party cyber risk management? It's a, it's a good question. It really is, um, I would say, in a state of, of evolution where people are, are now, for the first time, really taking it seriously. Um, it is a massive point of exposure that has not been paid attention to, has been more of a compliance afterthought at best, uh, where you're now seeing with all the attacks and such going on, you can't pick up a paper today without finding a third-party breach. Uh, people are starting to focus on it, but it is still nascent. People are learning, trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I scale how do I grow? And they're looking for solutions. And you're seeing a whole disparate set of different opportunities and approaches. So it's early. It's growing. It's an area of focus. But it's still early days to figure out kind of what is the solution of choice of where people are going. Why do you think people then haven't paid attention to it the way they should have uh, in the past? Why, why do you think that happened? You know, it's, it's, if you think about the way that this has all evolved is – um, security follows the business. And so the business has, over the last decade or maybe even two decades, grown from a self-contained entity to a broader kind of digital ecosystem. It's allowed much greater outsourcing of non-core processes, uh, better digital supply chain, if you will. Um, and I think that's allowed massive growth in business effect effectiveness, efficiency, et cetera. Um, security has, has maintained that mindset of, let me protect my house. And so people are very much still focused on 
what's the latest and greatest new tools that I can deploy in my environment. It's much closer to home. You can see it. You can control that view. What they haven't paid as much attention to is uh, where am I sending my data or who's accessing my network besides the employees and people that I have here. Um, what, what has really kind of been the catalyst to change that mindset is attackers or hackers are smart. They go for the path of least resistance. So if you're going to fortify your home, they say, okay, how do I get in on a trusted channel? And that's where you see, you know, 60, 70% of breaches today um, involve a third party. And so people are now paying attention. They're kind of uh, focusing on that. Another thing, it's an interesting statement, but um, the problem is so big and undefined that people have kind of moved on to other things they can address. It's one of those things when you see something that's so big and overwhelming, like, oh, I'll come back to that. Um, when you have 10,000 or 20,000 third parties to deal with, you don't even know, you know, actually the whole scope of who's even touching your network. It's hard to say, yeah, I'll go tackle that one today. You know, it's interesting. What do you think the common problem is that most every cybersecurity program has when they're trying to implement one of these programs? What's, what's the common problem that they're experiencing? Um, you know, and, and I actually, I want to get Scott's view on this because he's having that conversation every day. Um, but it's a, you know, a couple things. One is ability to scale. I just mentioned kind of these numbers, like it's thousands of third parties. Right. So how do I take one person or whoever I've had historically and have that person ramp up to cover that whole ecosystem? Uh, the other is where to start. Um, and it's a matter of how do you determine where to put your time and energy? Uh, you know, those thousand, 10,000, whatever it is, they don't all deserve the same level of scrutiny or attention. And so, but how do I even start to do that? Um, and then even you pull back even further, we've had conversations with many companies like, I don't even know who my third parties are. And so that's, you know, another issue that kind of is another major blocker to kind of get that whole uh, process started. But let me, I'd love to get Scott's view on this as well. No, I, I think you nailed it there, Fred. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that most organizations are starting to think more about it and, and they realize that it represents the area between potentially the easiest attack vector and the most prehistoric defense mechanism of, of spreadsheets and SharePoints and, and other, you know, manual processes. So, so no, I think those are, are all common challenges that we see. I mean, it's a, it's a resource challenge for most every company who has this growing ecosystem of third parties. It's almost like the basics, right? If you don't have good cyber hygiene, you know, when you're doing patch management, you don't know what assets you have. How can you patch what you don't even know you have? And here's the same incident we're talking about on third-party risk management, where if you don't even know who your third-party partners are, you know, how could you manage the risk associated with them? So, you know, it's really just getting back to some of these operational basics and some basic cyber hygiene. You know, what do you think is driving the need for enhanced TPCRM programs now? You know, I think I go back to it's, it's almost reactionary of, you know, when you see the uh, multitude of attacks that now come through third parties, you know, when I led security at a firm I was with before, you know, when the target breach happened, first thing my CEO did is call me and said, hey, can this happen to us? And unfortunately, my answer was like, yeah, probably. And that was, that's not a good answer. And it was like, okay, how do we make that not the answer anymore? And so you're starting to get that conversation happening more and more. People say, wait a minute, this is a vector that I need to pay attention to. And it's, um, and it's, it's starting to drive a lot more focus and attention. And we've seen a variety of uh, call it informal surveys from some of the uh, resellers and such out there who say, you know, uh, third-party risk is typically in the top three things that uh, our customers are talking about. They're still trying to get their head around exactly what that means, what they're going to do, but they know it is an exposure, an area that they need to pay attention to. And that's what's driving this real uh, growth right now in – uh, attention and focus on this area. 
So when you look at some of the bigger companies that you're dealing with, how are these companies with these very high-speed, low-drag TPM programs structuring their strategy? What's the process look like? What's the organizational construct look like? Where do these sort of teams lay? And, and I, I would imagine that the partnerships that these teams must have and the key stakeholders that they must have to, to accomplish their mission is really broad, right? Sure. Well, and it goes back to more, I would say, of a fundamental around the way a CISO or security practice integrates with a business. Um, and, you know, if you think of different ends of the spectrum, there are those who kind of see their job as effectively to stop bad things from happening and they're, quote unquote, a blocker. Uh, others who are saying, my, my job is to facilitate good decision making by the business. And so I, I want to elucidate risk that could be addressed and, and, and factored into that decision. And the better programs are of that latter mindset or say, basically saying, I need to understand what is the potential exposure that this third party creates uh, for the business as we move forward and, and, and uh, present that as such and not like, no, it's a bad one, can't move forward or, okay, that, that's good, check, you know, they're an A. Uh, it, that doesn't really help. It's, you know, what, what are we talking about here? A couple, a couple of things on that is the other, you know, when we're talking about thousands of companies is being able to factor in, you know, what level of scrutiny, what should I be doing? There are ways of just determining, you know, do these companies or these third parties rise up to a higher level of scrutiny? Do you allow them network access? Do you allow them on site? Do they have devices that connect you, et cetera? And these are kind of triggers that can help uh, prioritize who you should pay attention to and then justify a greater level of, of uh, scrutiny and digging in. And if you've shared that appropriately with your business, that's then integrated into the process and they understand that. And if it's, hey, this is a, um, you know, they do a cafeteria, provide, you know, vendors that, are, that actually doesn't even touch your network. Okay, that probably doesn't need a security review or some of that sort. And therefore, it's a much easier process. And that, that makes sense. Um, sadly, what we've seen is a lot of times people will basically say, who do I spend the most money with? Those are going to be my highest risk. And that's not true. It's, a, it's basically a default to trying to figure out who they should even start to look at. But it's the, the more sophisticated programs understand where that risk lies and then have, have a good relationship with their business counterparts to say, here's why we're doing this. Here's how this and drives better decision making. You know, so this is interesting. Do you think these companies that are, have these third-party risk programs are really prioritizing in, in, in the risk associated with their third parties properly? I mean, do you think they're good at it? There's so many of them, right? You can't do you can't do the same. You know, you can't do these big, deep, in-depth dives on every single third party, right? So there has to be this risk prioritization that happens within the organization. Sure. They doing it right, you think? But but just like anything in security, it's a matter of probabilities, right? You can't say yes, I've got, I've got perfect classification of all my third parties. Like that's, uh, I, I guess that's achievable, but the cost would be exorbitant. Um, but it's a what what you can look at is there are different ways, and interestingly. It was uh, one of the things that we really did last year for CyberGRX was recognizing um, that need. And we had so many companies that our, our initial thought was, okay, here, provide us a list of the third parties you want to do assessments of, and we'll go and help you work with that. Um, and the question we got back was, we don't know what to do, or we, we, we've done a process, but we're not confident in it. So we've built automated capabilities to do that, and ranging from kind of understanding you know, exposure that exists from kind of, you know, outside in scan capabilities, then all the way to what's the impact to you. And it's an iterative process. I, I uh, hesitate to say that anyone has it perfect, <clears throat> but they are able to get a good sense. Like, I know these are the companies that I share my most sensitive information with. 
Great, that just escalated them up. So I know these are the ones that we are actually pinging every day. Good, that's actually you know, escalating them up. And you can start to cut that group of 10,000 down to 1,000 and down to 200. Of These are the ones that are the most critical to me. Um, is, you know, is there someone who slipped through? Yes, and in the world of security, and I was speaking to a CISO the other day, he said, you know, the reason that no one wants my job is because I have to always be right. The hacker just has to be right once. And same concept there, and you know, it's, but in the, um, where you are today, where people literally don't know, moving to that, okay, now I have 90, 99% confidence, is a huge step forward. So the flip side of that coin is that the third parties are now being inundated with all these requests from all these different companies that they work with. Yep. How, how do you think they're handling all the different flavors of these assessments that they're being pounded with on a regular basis? Um, I, I think in general, they really don't like it. Um, and the reason is, is it's massively inefficient. It's, um, uh, you know, we've, we've run from, or spoken to plenty of companies who are really excited to share their security. They're proud of it. They see it as a competitive differentiator, but they're being asked to fill out literally thousands. In one case, I think it's 4,000 different individual requests for a view of their program. And that's overwhelming. Um, and so what part of the, the benefit that, that we're excited about with CyberGRX is we're trying to take away that inconsistency and that, that inefficiency in that, you know, instead of them getting hit with 4,000 separate, you know, bespoke assessments, that you come up with one comprehensive quality standard that you can actually then share that multiple times with much greater efficiency. But, um, you know, you're seeing, and it's interesting, everyone goes to, oh, it must be Salesforce and ADP. Those, the people who are also getting hit really hard by this are the smaller third parties, the ones that don't have the resources to potentially respond to this. And it's a startup or it's a medium-sized company where, the CISO is the one responding to it, and that went from responding to five questionnaires to 100, and suddenly he's pulling their CTO over, et cetera, and it's, mass, it's impacting their, uh, their, um, their ability to deliver their own product. Um, and so they're looking for a solution as well. How do I start to address this uh, and, and move forward? One of the things, and, and Scott actually, you know, part of his role is kind of works very closely with the, um, the third-party community as well, kind of making sure uh, as we think about the dual-sided nature of our platform, that we're addressing their needs as well. So I'd love to get you know, any additional thoughts there, Scott. No, I, I think you nailed it there, Fred. Uh, one of the problems that um, I think is very pervasive in the industry is this, this notion of a customized question set. I mean, as we talk to customers uh, and talk to third parties, um, many customers are very proud of their, their customized question set, and most third parties are, are frustrated by the fact that they're all largely the same. Are structured, you know, slightly differently, but they all, you know, answer or ask the same questions. And so, I think if we can, if we can start to look at the market, I think as George mentioned, and and um, tier it properly, where we say, look, your critical vendors may need one level of due diligence, your non-critical or very low vendors may need a different one. You know, how do we really address those those middle seventy or eighty percent in a very efficient and cost-effective way, and do it in a in a dynamic way that allows you to understand that changing risk over time, I think that benefits both, uh, you know, the customers and then the third parties as well. So you guys are tackling a really big problem here and it affects just about every company uh, out there. You know, how did CyberGRX get started? Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's actually an interesting story. I, um, I wish I could take credit for it, but um, it actually came uh, primarily out of Blackstone. Um, the CISO at Blackstone at the time uh, a guy named Jay Leak uh, was, you know, he, he had a dual responsibility of protecting Blackstone, but then also ensuring the security programs across their portfolio companies. 
And they do a fantastic job of really building a community of their investment portfolio uh, and coming together and having conversations, having monthly calls, et cetera. Talk about that. And one of the issues that kept coming up was the, um, the CISOs or, or, or uh, uh, chief security officers at, at each of those portfolio companies were saying, I cannot keep pace with the growing number of third parties that my business needs to operate. I cannot evaluate them the old way we're addressing them of sending people on site or sending out our questionnaires is not giving me confidence. And I'm getting more and more uh, concerned about the risk. And one of the ideas that, that Jay had was, okay, well, let me see if there's common vendors across this portfolio. And, um, and let me see, why don't I do an assessment of that company um, at the Blackstone level and share that across the whole portfolio. And that, you know, conceptually made sense. And he did, you know, did a poll of about, uh, about 125 companies. 90 of them were using the same vendor and 50 of them were sending a team on site every year to that vendor at a cost of, you know, several thousand dollars a piece. And it's like, this is insane. So why don't we do that once? And um, that was about the same time that I uh, uh, left uh, Bridgewater where I was previously and uh, connected with Jay uh, about this idea. And um, we said, wait, well, why, why stop at Blackstone? Other people use these vendors as well. And let's try and build this more broadly and go from there. And that was, that, that was the origin of this. I felt the, uh, the issue quite acutely at Bridgewater. Uh, and uh, I recognized the, the need for some kind of standardization of approach and just scalability, being able to look across your portfolio and understand, okay, where is that risk and how can I compare? Um, married up with the idea that, that Jade already been pulling together, and that was, that was really the origin of CyberGRX, and we kind of went off from there. That's a great story, man. So, look, guys, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but we're right back to talk a lot more about cybersecurity and third-party risk management. So if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio for any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications. Please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with the CEO and CRO of CyberGRX, Mr. Fred Knipe and Mr. Scott Schneider. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. 
Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman Soar live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with two of our special guests, the CEO and CRO of CyberGRX, Mr. Fred Knipe and Mr. Scott Schneider. So, guys, we were talking about uh, uh, cybersecurity and third-party risk management in the last segment, and I want to ask you, why do you feel actors are focused on third parties as one of their top attack vectors? Now, I know this could seem sort of a, you know, sort of a no-brainer kind of a question, but I think there's a lot that goes into this thought process of the attackers in terms of the money they spend um, to actually launch these attacks and the efforts and resources that they actually expend to be successful in what they're trying to do. So I just kind of want to get your, your opinion on the whole thing. Sure. And um, we talked a little bit about before, but it's, uh, it really is a path of least resistance concept. If you think about how people have spent the majority of their time protecting their own environment, but haven't paid as much attention to where data might be going or what uh, vectors are coming into their environment, then uh, that creates greater exposure. It's interesting in that, um, you know, if I want to build, a call it a, an, an, a knockoff iPhone, right? If I go try and uh, attack Apple, then uh, they have fantastic security. That's the, it's, it's gonna be a fortress and it's gonna take me years to break into there. But they send those designs to, you know, Foxconn or other contractors. So why don't I go ping them to see how strong they are? And there's likely, as you go down the chain, less security. And you'll find, you know, this was the classic target issue of, was it Fazio um, HVAC or whatever it was called? Um, you know, they, they had a much weaker security protocol and it gave someone credentials to log into the, uh, the target network. And so, you know, it's interesting, even more recently, the Dragonfly attacks uh, on, the, on critical infrastructure, the, um, the explicit approach there was to target some of the uh, analytics or SCADA providers that were being used by these tools and, and access them and then use that as a backdoor effectively into the, 
given environment. So the simple answer is, you know, hackers are smart. They, they don't want to waste time. They don't want to go bang their head against a brick wall. They're going to look for a way around it. And if you build really strong brick walls, they say, great, let me see what I can do around that. And they're going to find, you know, that weakest link in your chain and use that as a means to get in. And as we talked about, you know, a typical security practitioner is stretched. They can't uh, or, or historically have not focused all the way down that chain. They focused on, you know, their own uh, phishing training in their own environment or deploying the latest firewall or whatever it happens to be. Um, but they haven't paid attention to that, you know, third party who actually has access to all their data and what does that uh, security program look like there? So it's it's been successful and they're going to keep doing it until people start to really build up third party defenses. So you talk about the path of least resistance. Uh, what do you think are, are the top assets that actors are seeking to get a hold of when they attack a third party? A lot of it, I mean, it's, it's the same attack. A lot of it is the data, you know, it's uh, that confidential information. If it ranges from a state-sponsored attack that's going to be much more sophisticated, it have, may have some nefarious purposes of shutting down infrastructure and such, but I think it's still going to just going after that same credit card data, personal information, uh, healthcare information. I mean, you see a lot of the uh, third-party breaches that are reported in the news are from services that were uh, being provided to retailers or to uh, customer um, facing uh, products where they're getting credit card information or they're getting uh, personal health information or other stuff that's just valuable on the dark web. And so they're using that as a means to gain that access. Um, if, you know, a hotel company is sharing all of their data with a payment processing company or an analytics tool, then they can go hack that and get all of that data and they now have all those credit card numbers. So we talked a little bit before about prioritization and risk classification. If I'm, a, if I'm a CISO or if I'm a, a risk officer in the information security department, how do I get a better understanding of the appropriate level of due diligence I should perform on each third party? I mean, I know we talked about the risk piece of this, but we're getting into a little bit, you know, a little bit of a deeper dive. What are your thoughts? Sure. It's, um, it, it does start with the, the inherent risk you're facing from that company, right? It's a, uh, is to say, okay, is this someone who is going to be critical to me? And they're, they're very simple ways of starting. And it really comes down to what are you sharing with them and what access do they have? Um, and so if you, can, if you can articulate that and say, okay, here's the impact that these guys could create for me. Um, do I need them to be 100% uptime? Do I share all of my sensitive customer data with them? They, therefore, that now I've said, okay, now I have an exposure. And now you need to start thinking about what are the different ways that that could be accessed um, at the third party and are they, you know, do they have the right protections in place? You know, we, we briefly talked about it before, frighteningly, the vast majority of this is, do they honestly, do they have uh, an understanding of phishing and do they have a good patching program? Like that, that, that's where you need to start is, uh, do they just have the basic hygiene in place? Right. It's not, they have the most sophisticated new AI driven, you know, malware detect. Those are helpful, but it's, do they have the basics in place? And it's surprising how many do not. And that, that's your first piece. And then as you get into the more important ones, you want to step it up a level and understand what level of you know, segmentation or other components exist to, uh, to secure your data. Uh, and you need to be thinking from the attacker mindset. If someone's going after them, what do they do? And this is, you know, uh, we've talked about before, the analytics that, that we provide on our platform, when we look at a company, we do a, a risk assessment. We determine what controls are in place and what controls are not. And then we run our use case or our threats case against those, um, that configuration and say, here are the different attacks that could be successful. And then you have to then say, would that attack be uh, concerning to me given how I might use this third party? And so that, that kind of highlights a little bit of the way you might think about it. 
So once we perform these security risk assessments, we find these gaps, we find these control failures and our third-party partners, how do we determine which control failures could impact us the most? What's going to, it goes back to the, the, the same kind of analytics that we, that we have there is to say, um, okay, that control failure happens. Where is it in a kill chain? Are there other compensating controls? And if not, that could actually lead to the exfiltration of, of data or a, an attack that brings down the network, et cetera, of this company. And so it's important to, and it's actually, I love the question because it's important to think about this in the context of the whole security, not just an individual, oh, they don't have this control, need to fix it. Okay, but what else do they have and where does that fit? And, um, you know, I go back to the analytic program that we, that we run, it's a kill chain based model where we say, here is how a breach has happened historically. It starts here, you know, it, it's a, they get in this way, they get these credentials, they move laterally, they go to the exfiltrate, et cetera. And, you know, there are controls at each step along the way. But if all the other complete, um, components are blocked, that control becomes less uh, scary. If each one of those is open, then you can find those critical nodes that are actually really important. So you have to uh, think about that in context of the, the attacks and where that falls in the chain. What has happened, you mentioned in our previous segment on the frustration that third parties are facing with being assessed, is a lot of times someone will say, okay, here, I did my assessment, I asked you 100 questions, you didn't have these 10, go fix them. And it's, that's not really helpful, because then it's like, okay, I have to go do all this stuff, I don't know how to prioritize, it's a small company, that doesn't have the resources to fix them all right away. What's really helpful is to say, hey, you have these 10 gaps, it's this one or these two that are really concerning to me, because I know that's a critical path uh, for an attack vector. The other ones are good practice. I'd like to see that over time, but you're not going to hold up my relationship. And that's a much more um, collaborative approach. And we're excited that our platform, we think, facilitates that in a collaborative engagement that helps that company really build what they need uh, to satisfy the, the security there versus this inundated with, okay, fix everything mindset. Right, right. I mean, risk prioritization is key here, right? And it's also essential to really identifying good management. So, Let's just talk about that a second. I think you're, you see a lot of CISOs out there that, you know, some, some guys are being and giving a blank check um, to get their information security programs up, but a lot of most aren't, right? And so a really, really good manager is protecting the organization on this limited budget they have, and they need to prioritize these risks. So how does someone, you know, stretch this limited budget that they have in some of these smaller companies to gain visibility on their entire third-party stack. Sure, that's right. You know what? I'm going to ask Scott to <clears throat> answer this one because he literally has that conversation countless times every day. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Fred. And I think you're right, George. I mean, as we see, one of the main challenges being that uh, third-party ecosystems are growing. We're we're certainly not seeing you know budgets grow in accordance with that that third-party growth. So. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the challenges that most every organization understands which of their third parties are critical, which ones hold you know the majority of their data, and they also know, as Fred mentioned, which ones are really low. They're delivering food, or they're watering plants, or doing something that doesn't have a lot of cyber risk. The trick is, what do you do with that middle eighty percent in your in your stack? And it, you you really can't put them in the critical bucket because it's too expensive to have someone go on site. You really can't put them in the low bucket because you're not getting enough visibility. So where do those go? And that's where you can really stretch your budget. And really the only way to do that is with some sort of exchange and, and sharing community concept. Without that, there's no way to stretch your budget all the way, all the way down your entire stack. So, so understanding which, which side those go in, that middle 70 or 80% is really critical. And then leveraging the power of the crowd is, is the only way for you to really get cost efficiencies there. 
So when we talk about efficiencies, how do you guys think analytics play into this? How do you think robotics and RPA and, and, and automation play into a more focused decision-making process around which third parties need the most attention? Yeah, and it's, um, you know, I saw actually an interesting article yesterday where, um, you know, AI and, and machine learnings that are always brought up, and they're actually very powerful for defined processes. They can be scary or and actually misused a lot of, in undefined processes. And I think you still need to evolve the mindset of the practitioners to that true risk management before you try and drive a fully automated approach. They, they need to kind of move away from a historical uh, meaning a compliance checklist effectively to I'm truly trying to define risk and then it can actually guide better machine learning around that to automate. So it still is a bit more of a manual process. Um, but I think there's ways of teeing that up and, and understanding. And, you know, one of the things that is, is powerful about the standardization that Scott mentioned is if you're now responsible at, you know, company X for 500 or a thousand third parties, you know, historically you got 500 responses if you're lucky. Um, and they're all disparate and this one's a SOC 2 and this one is a different type of report or whatever it is. And there's no real understanding or comparability across that. When you use a, um, a service there or an exchange or, or a standardized approach here, you can literally now say, let me take my whole network and uh, all those 500 and sort them from best to worst on access management programs. And let me, let me filter that by law firms or whatever it is. And it allows you to now start to truly think about that risk holistically and not just a one-off Did we want to approve this third party, but what exposure exists for me? Where are there pools or pockets of risk? And it changes that conversation. And then I think applying more and more sophisticated algorithms and stuff to that will be the kind of the next generation of third party risk management. Yeah, I think Brad, what, what we hear in the market is that you know, organizations want to know if I can only do one thing today, what should I do first? Right. Which third party you know poses the most risk to my organization, and which control gap you know should I work with them on? Now that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it seems like I were at CyberGRX. You guys offer products and services to both enterprises and the third party community at the same time. So how does that work? How do you build products that satisfy both sides of the equation here? Yeah, and it's a there's a little bit of a mindset shift that I think is important here in that for this you know, to work, it's, it's a collaborative effort. And there's, there's no third-party risk manager out there who, who purely just wants to go and measure and, and, and punish their third parties. They, they want that third-party ecosystem to be stronger. That's how they get stronger. That first line of defense is stronger, therefore they're, uh, they're better protected. And so they're looking for how do I work with them to improve. And some, you know, look, there, there are plenty of third parties that are so critical to the way your service works that people are often willing to tolerate issues or gaps, et cetera. And so you need to work with them to, to improve those. And so, you know, as we thought about the, um, the cyber, um, cyber GRX kind of global risk exchange is really how do you build that collaboration and that community aspect? How do you make sure that this is enabling better improvements in, in, uh, for the third parties themselves, as well as that visibility and information for the companies that are consuming that data? And, um, and that's, it's, it's really quite important in that sense. And what's great, if you go back to that prioritization and element, it helps people collaborate and work with, here's what's important to me, here's what's necessary. And it allows also that standardization across um, all of your customers. So think about it from a third party perspective. If you've got 100 customers, each one of which has a set of four controls that they want you to fix, how do you possibly aggregate and navigate across that? And so you can actually go through 
with our platform and say, oh, okay, of all my customers, and let me sort by the ones who are most important to me, here's what they're looking for me to do. And so you can get a sense of uh, really defining where the areas of greatest impact are, which actually drives budget. Uh, you can go back to your uh, CEO and say, hey, these, these are revenue impacting components. Once again, it's the, um, in the, the concept we're thinking here is kind of almost like a, you know, we're all in this together concept of if, um, if these guys can actually all improve, all the third parties can improve their security, the, the, it kind of lifts all the boats and everyone can improve and that can actually create greater safety. And so that's what we're trying to facilitate through our exchange. It's not just purely a, okay, here's some data or here's a quick measurement. It's actually, how do you get the right data to facilitate the conversation that improves the security of the broader ecosystem? So what kind of mistakes are you seeing companies make as they try to enhance their um, TPM programs? I mean, especially when you speak in terms of risk management and compliance, the compliance checkbox nightmare. I mean, what do you think is the, the biggest problem and mistake that they're making? Yeah, I'd like to get Scott's view on this note, but one, um, there's a, uh, I guess a very influential CISO of a large healthcare company. One of my favorite quotes from him is, uh, compliance does not equal security and, and stop thinking that way. It's a, an element of if you go and say, hey, you know, I met the OCC requirement here. Or I went and, and met the HIPAA. That, that's fine. But it actually, you know, typically compliance regulation lags um, an understanding of a kind of real risk management by, by years. And so, you know, what do you actually need to, to, um, to build a appropriate understanding of the risk? Um, so it's first and foremost, it's understanding kind of are you actually understanding the risk that exists there? Are you prioritizing your time appropriately? But then also, are you factoring that in into a, a business context? It's not a, you know, these guys are good or bad. You can't just define it as a pure binary yes or no, but it's how do I use this data to define the business decision making? And that will be successful both from your ability for the, uh, the CISA or the, the third party risk manager to work with the business units, well, but then also to truly manage that risk effectively. But Scott, let me uh, you know, turn over to yeah, you. Yeah, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I think the one thing that's really um, preventing organizations from, from getting better in the mistake they're making is really focusing on the question set. You know, every organization having a customized question set really causes a lot of a strife for the third parties. And we encourage organizations to standardize on the question set and focus more on the responses. Once you can start uh, providing your, or, or, you know, performing analytics on the answers, that's only where you're going to be able to focus your attention on the, the vendor that poses the most risk to you and the, the specific control gap. So uh, now you may need those in your, in your most critical vendors. We understand that for your top 5% most critical. It may require a customized question set, but for the vast majority of your, of your vendors, you know, I think a, a standardized question set really works best. So, look, guys, we're going to have to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with the CEO and CRO of CyberGRX, Mr. Fred Knipe and Mr. Scott Snyder, right after these messages. Don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our two special guests, the CEO and CRO of CyberGRX, Mr. Fred Knight and Mr. Scott Snyder. So today we're talking about third-party risk management, and I want to get into a little bit more detail on, on some of the issues we spoke about in the first two segments. So as third-party ecosystems continue to grow, how are organizations stretching their budget to accommodate for this growth? We're talking about good budget management, good management and information security, not having that blank check just to do whatever you want. And, you know, any manager can do that. But how do they really stretching their budget to accommodate for this massive growth? And now, you know, this risk, which should be a material risk for most organizations that they must uh, accomplish. Yeah, I think um, the, <clears throat> the key piece here is recognizing that what may have worked in the past is not the right approach going forward. And that, and that if you have 30 key third parties, you can do a manual process and look at each one of them and compare them. And that, and that actually, you know, is cost effective or, or close enough and skin and probably scalable to say, okay, I got a good picture of that. But when that increases to 300 or 3000, that same approach doesn't work. Uh, and you need to start thinking about more scalability and more uh, capability to, 
to use data sets versus trying to run that process over and over again. Um, you do see some companies that are trying to scale up and say, okay, I'm going to hire 100 people now to go do that same process. But um, the more efficient are people uh, are looking at what are the right data sources to, to give me the information I need to scale up this program more cost effectively. And this is, uh, Scott had alluded to before, the, um, the exchange model or utility model as it's been used in the financial services space is really a, a way of kind of uh, democratizing that cost. If, you know, you do assess once, use many times, then that's not the cost of every, you know, every single company sending someone to do an assessment. It's done once and that data can then be shared at a, at a much lower cost. Thus, that same budget, instead of covering one assessment, can cover 10 assessments. And now you're able to start thinking about that as well as, you know, one of the, the phrases that we've used is you move your team from being data collectors to risk managers. So instead of spending all your time going out there trying to collect information, um, you actually have that data available and standards, and you can actually start using it to manage risk effectively. So you can get, you know, and some companies we've seen in some of our uh, um, case studies we've done are, are getting 10x or higher kind of uh, improvement on the effectiveness of their team, saying, okay, they used to be able to cover 10 companies, now they cover 100. They used to be able to cover 100, and they now cover 1,000. And that, that is allowing them at the same budget to be able to truly kind of start to tackle this problem. But Scott, anything else to add on that? No, I think you're, you're spot on there, Fred. I, I agree with your, your take there. So you mentioned this is Cyber GRX Exchange. What, what is that? Um, so yeah, so GRX stands for Global Risk Exchange. And the, the single concept here is, is really to drive kind of efficiency in the exchange of information. Um, our, our principle is really that we'll do one high quality, thorough assessment of a company once. How is that data centrally on our platform and allow it to be used multiple times? And so what that solves for is the burden of the third party being assessed countless times, instead of having to respond to you know, thousands of different requests, they can just direct people to CyberGRX. And some leading organizations are now much more aggressively doing that, which is great. Um, the other side of it is the consumers of that information, instead of having to chase someone down to say, please fill out my questionnaire, or what did you mean by this, et cetera, you have just a standardized data set of all the information you might be looking for um, across all of your companies. So it's, it's, there's comparability. Um, our data is, a, is, is primarily um, quantitative, so you can do all sorts of uh, sorting and filtering. And it's also updated more frequently because companies can log in and change their responses at any time. So instead of an annual assessment, you actually just have more of a consistent feed of information of how that's changing. We think it drives meaningful um, efficiency in the exchange of information here. And that's what we're trying to drive here. It's not necessarily just a data tool. It's a how are you facilitating that exchange of information that allows businesses to grow and have confidence in the ecosystem that they rely upon? I want to get your guys' opinion about how the information security assessments in companies are being used by the larger TPM programs, right? So the information security piece of a review of a third-party risk is just a piece of that risk review. There's all kinds of effort that goes into you know, your relationship with third parties. The information security is just a piece of that. Do you think, in your opinion, from what you guys see, and you, you guys do this every, every day, right? Do you think that companies are using that information that they get from the information security assessment effectively? Yeah, so I, I will say one thing. You mentioned that third-party risk is bigger than just cybersecurity. Part of why we focus CyberGRX on cybersecurity is there are a lot of tools out there to understand financial risk, legal risk, or other components, um, and it's uh, just a wealth of opportunities. We saw a major gap in getting 
quality, comprehensive cyber information to inform that conversation. Uh, and so that's that's why we're very much kind of laser focused on that to really build out the best source of cyber information to facilitate that uh, piece. Now, when that comes into the third-party risk manager, uh, in terms of now incorporating all that information to either make a decision, you know, upfront as well as ongoing, I, I have to say the review is mixed. Um, there are some people who are actually truly are doing that, and some people who are using our platform quite effectively to uh, to really identify where that risk might exist and. And actually, um, you know, stop working with some third parties who they saw, wow, that, that, that's an exposure I never knew of. A lot of people, um, it's still just early in the, in the process. And um, Scott actually just um, spearheaded a whole survey that we ran at this organization that shows a lot of people are just kind of doing that assessment and then just taking the data and not doing much with it. Scott, let me let you kind of run with it. No, I think you're, you're exactly right. And that's frustrating for both sides. And, and part of that is what we touched on earlier, Fred, which is, you know, if you find that one of your third parties has, uh, you know, 10 or, or 20 control gaps and you don't know which one matters most to you and you, and you give them that, uh, that mandate to fix everything, they typically just tilt and don't fix anything. But it, it's a really a major advantage for both sides. I think George touched on this earlier around how do we, how do we satisfy both sides? You know, if, we, if, a, if a customer of ours can tell their third party, we need you to, to do these three things and we need you to do these three things, remediate these three control gaps in the next 90 days, both sides really appreciate that. The third parties understand why they need to do that. They, as you mentioned, can go back and potentially get budget and, and resources for rolling out that or, or fixing that control. And then, uh, you know, the enterprise or the customer themselves, they see that uh, that remediation take place. So, you know, ultimately, I think most all companies just want to drive you know, frictionless commerce and be able to do business together in a, in a manner that, that makes both their businesses thrive. So I think there's certain groups of third parties that actually give information security risk managers a headache. And, and when I think about law firms specifically, when we're talking about third party risk, it seems like when you talk about law firms, people go into a complete meltdown because there's like a really sense of urgency around it. And it seems like law firms don't really have uh, a good grasp on what information security means to their business. In your, in your uh, experience, it, it, do you find that to be true about law firms? And how about other, other you know, clusters of, of providers like cloud providers and other emerging technologies that might not um, may or may not in some instances, and the, the cloud providers seem to be very good on security, but then they don't want to share their security. They don't want to share their practices with you. So you have a whole different type of problem, different type of headache. So in your experience, so w what types of uh, groups are the really the most difficult third parties to work with? Yeah, it's interesting. And um, we have a ton of law firms on our platform because your, your view is not alone. Um, many people, that's one of the first areas of like, Hey, we never even looked at our law firms. And historically, law firms have focused on practicing law. They haven't thought about um, building out sophisticated cyber defenses, but you're seeing those at the Panama Papers and a variety of other uh, issues where, you know, they, the sensitive information that they're holding is, uh, is quickly uh, accessed. I'll, I'll mention to you, there was one um, company that we, uh, that we spoke with who'd done an assessment of one of their law firms that had confidence that they looked quite good, and then they realized that they were sending unencrypted emails to Sri Lanka uh, to, for editing and saying, oh, okay, yeah, I want to edit this document here. And so, great, that's not helpful um, and things like that. So, yes, there is there is exposure in that space. I don't want to single out law firms as a pocket and kind of worse than any or, or there, there are a variety of other different industries 
that are kind of catching up in that sense. But there's the level of sensitive information that go to law firms. And we see of our, particularly our larger kind of Fortune 100 customer base, one of the first areas they focus in is actually a more comprehensive review of their, of their law firms to kind of look at that. Uh, some of the more um, the te te technology providers that you're seeing uh, in terms of business services, they've grown up uh, in the age of or, or more of that uh, focus on cybersecurity. You're looking at cloud service providers, analytics tools, and others. They're a bit more focused on that and have built that into the foundation versus trying to kind of bolt it on later uh, kind of from a security standpoint. So you do see kind of richer security components to it. But there's also a lot more complexity to their offering. A law firm is pretty straightforward. It's, you know, it's, it's, there's data there, it's housed, and you're looking for the different level of protections around access and uh, control there and encryption and such. But when you now talk about a cloud service provider, there's a variety of different things you need to look at. So it's much more complicated, um, regardless of their level of sophistication. So somewhat of a long-winded answer to your uh, thing, that there is no kind of, oh, yes, this is the worst pocket, et cetera. Uh, you'll see some of those reports when we come out from some of the, the ratings tools. So, you know, we've scanned this here and here. I don't think we've seen that as like, oh, this is a one area that is a disaster. But you will see um, that that is where people are gravitating towards is to really understand um, some of those key providers by that prioritization of what information I'm sharing with them. So one of the things I think that, you know, good companies do, a good practice is to actually get the, the view of all the solution sets out there and, and partnerships that they need to, to have them to increase their defense and death posture or their cybersecurity program. Not just the big companies like the, you know, the IBMs of the world and, you know, huge, you know, and, you know Intel's and, and those type of companies, but there's just smaller companies out there. These smaller companies, these startup companies who just don't have the resources, they get these questionnaires and they're like, their head spinning, right? I mean, and then, you know, to do business with them, you have to sign a risk exception, someone in the business has to sign an RE to do business with these people because they can't possibly have the insurance coverage and everything that you're asking them to have uh, from a, a cybersecurity perspective. How, how do you find people are dealing with these types of folks, these early stage cybersecurity companies? Um, so you're talking about the kind of the smaller third parties that may not have the, the, the products or the capabilities in place to, uh, to meet uh, sure. what Right. Yeah, and so once again, you go back to what, what's the goal of this? It's a, if that's a cool service, that's helpful for the business. The question is not, you know, check, are they good or bad? But it's how can I get them to a point where I'm comfortable? How can I help them? And it's not necessarily funding that growth, but helping direct them. One of the uh, values, and actually you mentioned law firms in the previous question, is when, you know, when someone completes a cyber GRX assessment, that data is kind of assessing, you know, what controls are in place. But then we run our analytic model that basically says, here are the controls that are, or, or the control gaps that are most important to you. Um, that's effectively an independent uh, cyber risk assessment that they can use internally. And we've had several uh, law firms in particular say, this is great. This is the first time we've done a cyber risk assessment. This is really helpful. We now know where to spend our, our money and focus our resources for next year. Um, and so there is an element of awareness and uh, kind of a willingness to say, okay, this is a smaller company. Here's the, now help, help them be aware of where to focus their time. As Scott said, if you say, hey, here's 30 problems, go fix them all, that's going to completely overwhelm a small company. If you say, here's 30 problems, here are the four that are most important, let's talk about those. And then you need to then factor in as the business, okay, I now know this. I know what their security looks like. What are the compensating controls I have within my own environment? to give me comfort or confidence to work with these uh, until they fix those issues. And you may be able to get there, you may not. And so I can't you know, say that it's a, a quick path to success there, but if you know they have X, Y, and Z gap, 
Like, okay, I won't share certain data with them, or I won't allow them this certain piece, or I won't you know, allow a certain department to connect with them, or some of that sort, until that's remediated. And it gives you, once again, that knowledge to know how to manage that effectively to work with the business to give them the service that they want versus saying, no, their security is poor, I can't move forward. So if I'm a small to medium-sized company and I'm finally taking third-party risk management seriously, I want to start up my M program, what do I do? I want to start from scratch. What are the first things that I do? Sure. No, and and, um, that's one of the exciting things about our platform is we help people literally move from kind of zero to best in class um, pretty quickly. And so instead of a, you know, in, in some cases it's actually even faster because you're, you're not trying to eliminate some of the legacy uh, issues that may have been there. It's like, okay, let me, let me ramp this up. And some of our best customers have been those who've been dabbling in third-party risk and they'll say, okay, now it's time for us to make this uh, a real piece of this. And uh, honestly, we've laid our platform out to just guide you through that journey. It literally starts with, Let's walk through who are your third parties and we'll help you understand the inherent risk that exists uh, across those, then tier who you should be focusing on and what level and run through the assessment process and then prioritize the risks afterwards and how you should manage that. But Scott, I know you have that conversation a lot too, so it probably works. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think of it as very simple, like you, you mentioned earlier, you know, ingest your third parties, you, you got to figure out who they are. And then I think that key component is really tiering them appropriately. The market struggles with that. It's easy to understand who the criticals are. It's easy to understand who the lows are. That middle 80% is not always obvious. Then you've got to perform some level of risk assessment. You've got to continuously monitor the health of those third parties in some way. And then you've got to have a, a closed loop remediation process. If you don't have that, there's no way you can lo- lower overall third party risk. And that is everyone's goal. I mean, we talked earlier about the compliance aspect of this, but, but ultimately, if you can't demonstrate a lowered portfolio, portfolio risk, then you know, you're just... Um, you're really not making progress. So when you talk about this four-year journey that you've been on on CyberGRX, part of the, I guess, the benefit and advantage of listening to this show is that people really get to learn from the successes and mistakes of others, and they take away that, and they take away that learning and apply it to their, their real life and, and, and what they're doing in their career. So do you have any advice or guidance on others on, you know, some of the mistakes and some of the successes that you've had, both in the, you know, when you were dealing with either third-party risk or from a startup perspective? Uh, with CyberGRX, yeah, I mean, it depends how long your show is. I could I could go for a long time. <laughs> um, but um, I think one of the things that I um, is a really important thing, a, le- a kind of a lesson we learned with CyberGRX that that 2018 we really helped to kind of address is um, is focusing in on that customer pain and what what what's the process they're going through, what are they ready for versus what you think good should look like. And we, we developed some functionality and capabilities at CyberGRX that um, were, were pretty sophisticated and said, okay, you can do all this cutting and painting and, and, and filtering and, and running through looking at your third parties to really granular detail when a lot of our customers are basically saying, I just need to understand who I should be looking at first. And so we kind of went to step three versus starting at step one. And I think part of that was um, is, is, you know, just focusing in and, and truly understanding you know, what the broader group is looking to do. And so it is that element of, of customer conversations and really walking through and putting yourself in their shoes and understanding that uh, a few partners, a lot of um, startups will say, great, I partnered with, you know, this leading bank and this leading company. Well, they are not necessarily representative of the, of the broader group and that they, they may limit kind of how everyone else thinks about your program. And so we partnered with some leading organizations to build CyberGRX some of the most sophisticated third-party risk uh, practitioners out there, 
and we build a product that satisfies a lot of their needs, but we neglected some of the needs of some of the people who are just starting their programs. And so, so we had to build that in kind of the end of 2017, early 2018. And that's really showed a lot of our acceleration as we've helped bring people along. And so, you know, if you're kind of coming out there from a startup standpoint, it's really focusing on the broader need. What are, what are people looking to do and how do you pull them along your journey if you're looking to change behaviors versus that kind of, if you build it, they will come mindset that uh, we, we, may, we may have started with. So what do you guys see for the next five years in this space? I mean, considering the emerging technologies and some now that people are taking this seriously, what do you see is going to happen over the next five years? Yeah, this I definitely want Scott's view on as well. To me, I think you're going to see the real migration of, um, and I mentioned kind of earlier that we're early in this transition from a honestly do nothing to compliance mindset to true risk management. You're going to see a real movement along that spectrum. People are going to start to really appreciate how do I manage this risk? How do I understand it? How do I report on it? And how do I then uh, start to kind of drill that down? Uh, we're still seeing that as a, um, a minority of people who truly have the, the full view of their the risk that exists. And then what should you be doing about that? Um, and tools like CyberGRX or, or others out there that can help you really understand the breadth of that risk and how can you manage it down uh, are going to be really important. Unfortunately, in the environment you're going to see, I, I think 2019 and 2020, you're still going to see a multitude of third-party breaches uh, that will continue in the same way that we saw through 2018. And that will just continue, hopefully, to drive some attention to this space. But it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it's going to take that to continue uh, that acceleration. You'll see some AI tools and others kind of incorporating and integrating in different components of, uh, I can measure this now, I can measure that. But you need to really change the mindset of the practitioner to truly a risk manager versus, hey, look, I did assessments of all 100%. Great. But what would you do with it? That's risk identification, not risk management. And I think it's really when people move to that um, that mindset and start to operate, you're going to see a real uh, kind of, kind of uh, reduction in the exposure. And that's when, you know, you'll see uh, hopefully in the latter half of that five-year journey where people are saying, yeah, third-party risks are no longer that path of least resistance. It's something else. Uh, and that's, you know, able to be drilled down. But Scott, let me ask you your thoughts on that as well. No, I, I think we've seen that in, in 2018. We saw, as you mentioned, Fred, the third-party risk moved up on a priority list for most organizations. So I think that's been a, a positive uh, for, for the entire market. But I think there's a couple of things that, that we'll see in the next five years, just continued automation and automation in a lot of ways. I mean, most everyone has a static view of their third party and having some level of dynamic visibility, I think will really uh, you know, springboard the industry. And the second thing is, you know, and this is certainly in the latter half of the, uh, of the five years, but we're, we're talking to some companies, as you know, around, you know, how can we pull config files and, and other things from, you know, third-party deployments of uh, next-gen uh, firewalls and other things, and, and not in a way that puts the, the third-party, you know, at risk, but it allows them, you know, easier, um, an easier way to provide uh, an understanding of the fact that they are secure. And then I think the second thing that we'll see, and this will, will likely is, I think it's happening now and will continue to happen in the, in the next couple of years, is really just everyone coming together as a community. As we mentioned, this is really a, this is a, a force multiplier issue. This is a resource issue. And the only way to really address that is, is leveraging some level of, of community, of crowdsourcing, of an exchange. And it's been done in many other industries. We're not the first one. It's, it's proven out in, in a lot of ways to be the only way. Certainly credit ratings is the first thing that comes to mind. So I'm expecting a lot of uh, big things in the next few years and, and excited about, about watching the industry evolve. 
Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a great discussion on third-party risk, and I really enjoyed speaking with you both. Thanks, George. Okay, folks, we've run out of time once again, but before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.